The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We start with tech dragging Wall Street lower ahead of the open, with the Dow coming off its seventh record close of this year. The big driver today, it's Alphabet. Shares sinking on Q4 advertising sales miss as it boosts spending around the AI wave. Then, of course... Microsoft under pressure despite recording record quarterly sales in the final three months of 2023. Plus, it is Fed decision day with investors expected to hang on Jay Powell's every single word during his press conference at 2.30 p.m. Eastern time today. And then later in the show, a Delaware judge, he throws out Elon Musk's record-breaking pay package, putting Tesla and Musk's status as the richest person in the world in limbo. It is Wednesday, January the 34th, 31st, 2024. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we kick off the hour with the check of U.S. stock futures. After a bit of a mixed session for stocks yesterday that saw the Dow close at another all-time high. Take a look. We're seeing the Dow up in the pre-market, looking like it would open up about 30 points higher. However, the S&P and the NASDAQ both lower. We're also checking the bond market of the Fed's 2 p.m. Eastern time, monetary policy decision and the Jay Powell press conference. Taking a look at the benchmark 10-year yield coming in at 4.02, lowest level we've seen since just about the first week of January. Okay, that's your morning setup. Now we want to turn our attention back to tech earnings. We're watching Alphabet and Microsoft, both of them moving lower ahead of the opening bell on somewhat mixed quarterly results. Our Arjun Kapal joins me now from London with much more on both. Arjun, good morning. Good morning, Frank. And just to set the context here, really, Microsoft and Alphabet recently hit record highs on the hype around AI and expectations were high and there was very little room to disappoint for both companies. And Alphabet ended up the worst off out the two, while the Google parent beat on the top and the bottom line, posting its fastest revenue growth since early 2022. It missed on ad revenue, its biggest business. YouTube revenue was also light. Cloud, meanwhile, was a bright spot with 26% year-on-year growth as Google attempts to catch up with Microsoft and Amazon. Now, speaking of Microsoft, the Redmond giant also beat on the top and bottom line. It guided for January quarter revenue of between $60 billion and $61 billion, more or less in line with uh, the market expectations, while Azure revenue, which of course is closely watched, was up around 30% year on year. Now, the company said AI products boosted Azure revenue by six percentage points, an acceleration from three points in the prior quarter. Microsoft shares were around about 2%, uh, down around 2% pre-market, not as much as Alphabet. I think partly here as investors take a bit of a breather after a massive run-up in the stock, and perhaps it also signals a little bit about the way investors are thinking about the AI narrative around both companies, with Microsoft clearly intact here, and, and investors looking a bit more at Alphabet for answers about what AI means for their business going forward, Frank. So you're mentioning uh, AI, of course, it's big for both Alphabet and Microsoft. You believe that Microsoft's really convinced investors. What about Alphabet? What do you think they need to do to convince investors? And what does this all mean for Amazon that reports later this week? 
Yeah, I think Microsoft, that AI story is still very much intact. Many still see Microsoft as an early leader in this AI race due uh, in large part to its investment in OpenAI and the swift move to launch products. Nadella said that OpenAI, that partnership is going well and the products were a major driver of Microsoft's performance. Alphabet, I think, is less clear-cut. It's released its large language model, Gemini, and will roll that out this year into its products and to its customers. CEO Sundar Pichai has been talking up AI, but I think investors are still waiting to see what this means for Alphabet's business. Now, for Amazon, they, of course, did a big deal last year with OpenAI rival Anthropic. And so investors, I think, will want to hear a little bit more, again, what this means for the business. Can they replicate the success Microsoft has seen in its cloud division with AI? Can Amazon do that as well? The big focus will be on AWS and that cloud division, of course, with the market looking for around 13.5% revenue growth for AWS uh, there before they're expecting an acceleration for the rest of the year. So that guidance really is going to be key for the company and investors are going to want to see that growth will not only continue, but accelerate, Frank. All right, Microsoft and Alphabet, both lower in the pre-market. Arjun Kapal live in London. Arjun, thank you. All right, time now to get to this morning's other top story and a shocking court decision over Elon Musk and his pay package. Our Silvana Hanau is here with that story. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good morning to you. Yeah, shocking it is. So we're going to start with shares of Tesla. They are under pressure after a Delaware judge yesterday sided with an investor lawsuit filed back in 2018 claiming Elon Musk's $55 billion pay package was excessive. But the 200-page legal opinion did not end there. The judge going on to say Musk's compensation terms failed to clearly show what was required of him to earn the money, adding the board of directors at the time was rife with conflicts of interest when it approved the deal. The ruling threatens to take down Musk from his status as the richest person in the world, Frank. Uh, We're going to continue to follow that story later in the show. Silvana, thank you. We'll see you later in the show as well. All right. Time now for a check of more of this money's this morning's big money movers. We're starting off with Starbucks. Shares are higher despite an earnings miss and lower guidance. International growth outpacing the U.S. as a rebound in China helped sales grow by double digits. The company CEO pointing to a number of headwinds, including a boycott in the U.S. and discounting by their rivals over in China. Shares of Starbucks up just about two and a half percent. AMD, however, under pressure on an underwhelming revenue forecast. The chipmaker projecting $3.5 billion in revenue this year compared to the $6 billion expected by analysts. CEO Lisa Su calling for data center growth in Q1, but also warning of sequential revenue declines in the client-embedded and gaming businesses. AMD shares down almost 7%. For more in the quarter, don't miss a first on CNBC interview with Lisa Su today at 9.30 a.m. Eastern. And Samsung also dipping after reporting a 74% drop in fourth quarter profits. Still, the company remains optimistic about a recovery in memory chip demand this year due to the expansion of AI use cases. Samsung adding and sees continued strength in sales of premium display products. Shares of Samsung down just over 2%. All right, turning back to the pre-market action and results from Alphabet, Tesla, and Microsoft, putting a renewed focus on risk. From the Magnificent Seven's outsized weighting on the broader markets. In a note yesterday, analysts at J.P. Morgan saying the S&P 500's narrow leadership is becoming, quote unquote, increasingly unhealthy, with the Mag 7 accounting for nearly 29 percent of the index. For much more, let's bring in Craig Johnson, Piper Sandler Chief Market Technician. Craig, good morning. Great to see you. Morning, Frank. Uh, Thanks for having me back on the show. And I would agree with that sort of unhealthy perspective uh, from the large cap uh, market at this point in time. Well, you, you say you agree, but when the, these mega cap names, the Magnificent Seven, were pushing the market higher, 
Yeah, a couple grumblings about the narrowness of the market, but everybody just rode the wave. Now, after a little bit of a pullback, after a big run up year to date, why are you concerned now? Well, what's interesting and what's standing out to us from a technical perspective on this market, Frank, is the fact that you've got the Dow, you've got the S&P, you've got the NASDAQ, you've got the Russell 3000. They're all making all-time new highs in the market. But if you just come back and you look at some very, very simple measures, how many stocks and how many industry groups that we track here at Piper Sandler that are making 26-week new highs, it has been deteriorating for the last six weeks. So you would look at this and say, Frank, the market's not on solid footing, advancing to all-time new highs on a deteriorating number of stocks and industry groups making 26-week new highs. It is just sort of a non-confirmation at this point in time for the broader market. All right. So, Craig, I do have to say that you're staying pretty consistent because you gave us your S&P price target. It's 50-50. That implies only about a 3% rise from the levels we're at today. So you don't think the Magnificent Seven is going to push us higher what do you think happens in the market this year that just keeps us kind of going sideways for most of the year, I would, I would guess, only a 3% rise this year? Yeah, so what I think is going to happen is we had this sort of push up in the first quarter, which is pretty much in line with normal seasonality that you see in presidential election years. It also is sort of normal seasonality after having a 20% advance in the, in the preceding year. And it's sort of an environment where you enter this high-level trading range, or HLTR, as we like to call it, Frank. The market's going to end up chopping sideways, digest some of these moves, and then once you get through the election, I think that's when you can see the market finally move higher. But I think a lot of these large-cap stocks are going to have to take a breather. And as you look below the surface of this market, you can start to see there's some pretty attractive things happening. To that point, we're actually upgrading the financial sector to overweight this morning. And we're also downgrading industrials, which has been very solid leadership through most of last year. Okay, Craig, let me jump in for a second. So you're upgrading financials here. A lot of people saying they're cheap right now. Is this a play on the idea that we're going to see rate cuts, maybe as many as five this year? I don't know if I don't know how many rate cuts that we're going to ultimately get. I'll leave that uh, to our uh, Washington analysts and to our Fed analysts to ultimately come up with. But clearly, the direction, Frank, is we are going to see the Fed cut sometime this year. Um, and when that does happen, I suspect we're going to start to see net interest margins approving for the financials, which should be sort of a, a nice tailwind for the financial sector itself. So, whether it's Wells Fargo, whether it's Synchrony Financial, whether it's okay. PNC Bank, they all will benefit. All right, Craig Johnson, upgrading financials, S&P price target for year-end, 50-50. Uh, pretty conservative call there. Craig, always great to see you. All right, a Thanks, lot more Ryan. to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, much more on Elon Musk and the pay package problems, as well as his fate as the richest person in the world. I'm not sure it's a fate. He's still a billionaire. Plus, getting set for Boeing results and fresh comments from the CEO as the company jumps from one crisis to another. And then later, getting set for the Fed. And the words our next guest is looking for during Jay Powell's post-decision press conference. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Wex returns. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. 
Edward Jones, member SIPC. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Worldwide change. Take a look at U.S. futures right now. We can see the Dow moving higher in the pre-market following that new record close. However, take a look at the Nasdaq. Down more than 1% under a lot of pressure after results from Microsoft and Alphabet. Right now, taking a look at the Nasdaq 100 laggards. AMD falling the hardest, down almost 7%, followed by Alphabet down almost 6%. Let's see how Europe is shaping up as its trading day gets underway. Our Jamana Brissetti is in our London newsroom with much more on the early action. Jamana, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Well, it is shaping up to be a mixed session for European indices behind me. Uh, some of them are trading in the red. You can see the likes of the FTSE 100 down about five basis points. After a disappointing January, the FTSE was the worst performing stock within Europe for the first month of the year. Zetra DAX down about a tenth of a percent. Disappointing retail sales coming through this morning uh, for the month of January. And then Kekarant in France also up about six basis points today. We did have the preliminary CPI numbers come in slightly higher than expectations at 3.4% versus 3.3% forecast. So keeping an eye on the macro. But it's been a huge day in terms of earnings as well. In the pharma sector, we're keeping a close eye on Novartis. The stock is down almost 4% today after a fourth quarter net profit miss. In the banking space, we're keeping a close eye on the the Spanish banks yesterday, BBVA, today, Banco Santander up 1.4% after 28% jump in net profit in the fourth quarter. And then finally, Europe's largest company, Novo Nordisk, just up a little bit today, up about a tenth of a percent. But it is Europe's most valuable company, a new record high for the stock after the pharma said it sees sales growing by as much as 26 percent this year. So it is a mixed bag when it comes to earnings, but overall sentiment is somewhat mixed. All right. Jumana, thank you very much. Jumana Bersetti in our London newsroom. All right. We're now watching shares of Boeing ahead of earnings this morning. It'll be the first time the company opens its books since that midair Alaska Airlines door plug blowout earlier this month. Key to this report will be guidance on production, deliveries, and the ongoing investigation by the FAA. Joining me now with more is Ken Herbert, aerospace and defense equity research analyst at RBC Capital Markets. Ken, good morning. Hi, good morning, Frank. How are you? All right, so Ken, explain this one to me. You say Boeing is one of your least favorite stocks going into earnings, but you have it at outperform, and you also have a price target of 285. Stocks trading at about 200 right now. So it's your least favorite, but you seem pretty optimistic. Yeah, so we're still uh, obviously optimistic on the longer term. We think uh, travel continues to hold up very well. We do think the free cash flow outlook that the company had previously provided probably has a little pressure, and we had been below that expectation in our numbers. And we do feel that $200 a share of the setup for the longer term remains favorable. Although, obviously, when we had published uh, on our preview and we said, you know, the near-term outlook certainly is more challenged, and, and we thought there was some pressure on the stock heading into the results here uh, later today, obviously. But still think the long-term fundamentals do remain intact for the company. All right, so long-term fundamentals remain intact. But in the short term, there's certainly a lot of pressure on the company. Um, an FAA investigation, that door plug blowout, how does that impact the forward guidance for Boeing? 
Well, obviously, that's the million-dollar question. We're, we're hoping Boeing is able to give fairly definitive guidance uh, or specific guidance for this year. Remember, they had moved to 38 a month on the max if you, uh, in December prior to the end of 2023. If you think about that with some of the inventoried aircraft, we do think the company still guides to max deliveries this year of 500 to 550, which would be in line with consensus estimates for the max aircraft. Uh, timing on potentially up further increases in the production level, uh, that's the big question today as okay. we think about when the FAA looks to uh, really pursue this investigation and how much pressure they expect to have on Boeing as you think about further rate increases. All right, Philip O's done a lot of great reporting on this. There are certainly a lot of unanswered questions going forward when it comes to the MAX 7 and also the MAX 10. And then at the same time, it's like a good news, bad news situation. Uh, deliveries to China are still going on, but United, a key Boeing customer, is starting to look at Airbus. So just wrap it all up in a bow for us going forward. If you're an investor, how do you view some of this risk around the new MAX certifications? And then also China's good, but United looking at Airbus, that's certainly bad. Yeah, obviously, that's not a great headline. I do think incumbency is very strong in this industry. The MAX has a very large backlog. Commercial travel continues to be very robust. There are other airlines that would gladly step in if, in fact, there are some airlines like United that might move out from some of their slots. So we feel like in a very good demand environment, the company clearly has execution issues it needs to work through. And that's why we think we get through some of these near-term issues and the stock stock does remain attractive in the longer term. Uh, the MAX 7, which the company has talked about from a certification standpoint, likely pushing out. Uh, very limited in terms of its backlog and what it represents in the in the business today. So uh, we still like the story longer term, and we'll see what the company says later today. So again, FAA investigation going on right now. If there are delays in certifying the 7, which you say doesn't have that big of a backlog, but also delays in certifying the MAX 10, does that change your outlook? Does it change your price target or your rating? Um Specific delays on those? No, it depends on the incremental cost to ultimately get these certified. But you know, those have those those particular models, the seven and the ten, are already several years late, and I don't think, in terms of the backlog, that is overly significant. However, I would make one final point: there obviously is a replacement to the triple seven coming, the triple seven X, which is expected in 2025. If these delays extend to other parts of Boeing's portfolio, like the triple seven X, that certainly could be a greater risk than we've contemplated. All right. Something else to watch for this company. A lot going on for Boeing. Ken Herbert, your price target, 285. Your rating outperformed. Thanks for being here. All right. For much more on Boeing's results, don't miss a CNBC exclusive interview with CEO Dave Calhoun. That's at 9 a.m. Eastern time today. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, hands on with Apple's new Vision Pro headset as we ask when the $3,500 device will move the needle for the company's bottom line. Stay with us. Much more WEX coming up. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. All right, welcome back to WEX. Apple's Vision Pro Mixed Reality Headset, it officially goes on sale on Friday, and the early reviews are in. A lot of praise for the device as a state-of-the-art device, but, and it's a big but, reviewers say unless you're a diehard techie, you may not want to buy one, at least not, at least not right now. Let's bring in someone who got to test drive the Vision Pro, Scott Stein, editor-at-large at CNET. 
His big takeaway, the Vision Pro is a mind-blowing look at an unfinished future. Scott, good morning. Great. To, oh, you got one right there in hand. Good to see you. Got one right here. Yeah, good morning. All right, so we're showing your headline. You're saying it's a mind-blowing look at an unfinished future. But I got to ask you, why is it only for techies? I think a lot of us have um, very high-tech phones, tablets, even video game consoles with a lot of features we don't really use, but we like them because they're new and they're fun. Why is this one only for techies? Well, you know, because I think the the whole experience and the and the whole design is complex. I think this is the and also the price. You know, I think if this were a five hundred dollar device like a Quest Three or something even a thousand dollars, something that people could foreseeably afford, then I think that that would be a different uh, trade off. You know, something like the MetaQuest, these types of VR headsets are experimental. But they can add some value as, a, as as kind of a fun, interesting idea. At thirty five hundred dollars, this is a significant investment. This is um, more expensive than any Mac I've ever bought. So you know the the type of investment for that, like a Disney trip, uh, that is a lot of money. And I think right now you really have to be an early adopter to appreciate it. Plus, there aren't many apps out of the gate that take advantage of this OS. And I think Apple has some work to do with the interface to make it really useful as a computer. You know, by the way, we're showing video of you actually using it right now. It's just fascinating to see you move your hands and things in the air. I'm a little disappointed, Scott, because you said if you put it on, we can actually see like a, 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 an image of your eyes. So I thought you were going to wear it during the interview. I got to be honest. Um, oh, my God. I'm sorry. Well, you can't I, you wear know it with your glasses. I mean, that, was, that was one of your cons. You can't wear it with the glasses. So I understand. Um, I know. If you're really going to put yeah. it on, that's fun. So while yeah. you're putting it on, I want to talk to you. You said right now it's only for uh, first adopters, but long term, obviously adoption's the goal when it comes to this new headset. What iteration of this do you think it becomes more mainstream and, and what direction do you think it's going when it comes to price? Well, I think that the direction it's going to have to go is towards glasses, and I'm actually going to take it out right now and show you. But, you know, this big battery, this cable, this has to go at some point. You know, the, the have, the, having to carry that around that's really, really tough. And then this design, which is still like a VR headset, it is a VR headset. You know, this is a lot. I mean, I'm used to VR. I cover VR all the time. But when you have to put this on your head and get this all set up and tighten the strap and then you're in and right now I can't see you because it's not on yet. You know, <laughs> you have to wait for the pass through. This is this is still a thing to get into. And uh, I think it's got amazing displays. I think it's got the ability to immerse your world once you're in it. But it's like Apple made this kit to show you where it's going. And and the uh, when it does it, it's amazing. But I think okay. we have, really have to see what it's like after a year and see what it's like when it's on its feet. And you may see my eyes in a yeah, moment. I'm, I'm actually like looking at the screen waiting for that to happen. So before we let you go, I want to get your final takeaway. You mentioned the other thing I want to ask you about, the lack of apps. Netflix doesn't have an app. Spotify doesn't have, have an app. The future success of this headset, how reliant do you believe it is on apps? I'm unlocking this as I talk to you. But I think as I'm looking at a grid of apps right now, and you, you probably can't even see my eyes because it reflects right now, um, you act, it's very hard to see in everyday life. But I think apps are huge for this. You know, the, the uh, right now you can play YouTube on uh, a browser. You can mm -hmm. play Netflix on the browser. But to have Google's ecosystem of work apps to be able to do your work, I mean, a lot of our work workflow is dependent on some Google apps. Or to have all of your security software on there. Um, I think that's really, really important. And right now, it's not fully there yet. Okay. Even if there are a lot of iPad apps, a lot of them have not made the full interconnected hook in in the way that I Got want. It. Scott, so, we got to go. You I know what's not fully there yet? Your eyes showing on the front of it. We were trying to wait to see if it was going to happen. It didn't happen. 
but great review. You say it's mind-blowing. Your headline, a mind-blowing look at an unfinished future. Thank you so much for being here. Great to see you. Uh, Of course. Good to see you, too. I can see you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the bidding war for Paramount. It heats up by one and shares are skyrocketing higher. The full story when Worldwide Exchange returns. Right now, shares of Paramount Global, they're up about 20%. Stay with us. It is right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there is a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. It's decision day for the Fed as investors look for fresh signals from Jay Powell and some clues on when the central bank may start to cut rates. Markets feeling the pressure on the back of Microsoft and Alphabet earnings and demand to show a payoff to heavy AI investments. We're going to dig through those results. And it's not just earnings that are dragging down a MAG7 member as Tesla shares dip. After a judge pulls the plug on Elon Musk and his $55 billion pay package, it is Wednesday, January the 34th, 1st, 2024, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start the day. As always, we pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures with the Dow coming off another all-time high. You can see right now the Dow looking like we'd open up almost 40 points higher in the pre-market. What we're watching this morning is the Nasdaq down more than 1% on the back of those Alphabet and Microsoft earnings, both of those pulling the Nasdaq futures down lower. We also wanted to check on the bond market ahead of today's Fed rate decision. We're going to look at the benchmark right now at 4026 Back at the level that we've seen it at uh, in the first week of January right now, again, yields have been declining as we get closer and closer to this Fed decision. Okay, that's your morning setup, but we're going to stick with the Fed. It's been nearly two years since the central bank kicked off its latest rate hiking campaign in the face of surging inflation. And customers, they've seen a big spike in borrowing costs. Here's just a sample. Back on March 11, 2022, the rate on the 30-year fixed mortgage, it was 4.3%. Today, it's 6.9%. Average interest rate for a credit card, that stood at 16.3%. Now, it's closing in on 21%. The rate for a loan on a new car, 5.2% compared to 7% today. Perhaps one of the only bright spots, rates for a six-month CD. They went from 0.22% to more than 3% today. Very good for savers. Joining me now is Michelle Gerard, head of U.S. at NatWest. Michelle, good morning. It's great to see you. Frank, nice to see you. All right. So no cuts expected today. Nobody's expecting a cut today, but everybody's listening uh, for Jay Powell's news conference and also waiting to read the FOMC statement. What are you expecting? Well, you're exactly right. No change is expected today. But the question on everybody's mind is, when will the Fed start to lower interest rates? And we think that they'll continue to march toward that eventuality um, by perhaps softening some of the language today, removing a, a bias, if you will, toward tightening. And in December, uh, the, the Fed chair continued to signal a willingness to tighten. He seemed to suggest the decision set for the Fed was to do nothing or perhaps maybe raise interest rates if inflation is, you know, becomes a problem again. I think now what you'll hear is much more balanced. The Fed is equally uh, as likely to or thinks it would be as likely to raise rates as lower rates and actually continuing to take the steps toward what we think will be, you know, rate cuts in the spring. I want to make sure I heard you correctly. You, you said Right now, you think the Fed's just as likely to raise them as cut them, or is that the message that Jay Powell wants to send? Uh, exactly. Okay. I'm sorry, Frank. What I was just trying to say is I think we'll hear more balance okay. from gotcha. the Federal Reserve today. Actually, not talking about 
or not reminding the markets about the fact they could tighten further and, and suggesting a much more neutral posture. And so that is, you know, a step toward the shift fully into thinking, you know, we're going to be cutting rates definitively as our next step. All right. So the Fed has always said it's, you know, it's data dependent. They're looking at the data. But when we look at the data, inflation is still going down, but it's above the target of 2%. We saw GDP and manufacturing surprise to the upside. So does this data dependent Fed, dependent Fed, does it see the soft landing? Does it see everything working out? Or do you think um, a more restrictive policy is more likely, as uh, New York Fed President John Williams said, he's, he's all about that restrictive policy stance. Right. Well, I think the Fed has got to be really pleased, to be honest, with the, the way things are unfolding. We are seeing inflation coming down, as you said, the, the core uh, PCE deflator, the inflation measure the Fed watches closely, finished um, to, you know, 2023, uh, just below 3 percent at 2.9. And meanwhile, the economy, which has cooled, but it, it looks like maybe we're, you know, we're going to avoid a recession. I, we unfortunately think that won't be the case. Okay. But for right now, there's more resilience. So it looks like the best of all world. The, the question is, does the Fed need to keep rates as high as they are currently, given the fact that they've got things very much where they want them. It, you know, it takes a long time for policy to take to take effect. Right. So sitting at five and a half percent is still like keeping their foot on the brake. And I think what the Fed is now thinking is just taking their foot off the brake, you know, beginning to cut rates, not to stimulate things, but to just get get the level of rates back to more of a neutral posture. Again, it's not okay. that the, the economy needs to get the gas, but it doesn't need to have the, the Fed's foot so firmly on the brake. All right. A lot to think about there. Uh, Jay Powell's News Conference at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Michelle Gerard, always great to see you. Thank you. Thanks, Frank. See you. All right, time now for a check of some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hanau is back with those. Silvana. Hey, Frank, good morning to you. A new suitor for Paramount Global has emerged. Media entrepreneur Byron Allen's company has submitted a $30 billion offer for Paramount, including debt and equity. Allen's bid comes after sources revealed to CNBC last week that David Ellison's Skydance Media and its financial backers are exploring a deal to take Paramount Global private. Shares of Walmart popping after announcing a three-for-one stock split. The move coming with the retail giant's shares sitting just below an all-time high. Walmart says the split will let more employees buy into the company's stock's purchase plan. And several social media company CEOs are set to go before the Senate Judiciary Committee for hearing on what they are and are not doing to keep kids safe on their platforms. Among those appearing, Meta's Mark Zuckerberg, Snap's Evan Spiegel, X's Linda Yaccarino, as well as the heads of Discord and TikTok. That hearing begins at 10 a.m. Eastern, Frank. All right, Silvana, thank you very much. All right, turning back to one of your morning's big money movers, or two of them, I should say. They're two of the world's biggest money movers, in fact. Microsoft's fiscal second quarter results beating forecast as new AI features attracted customers to its Azure cloud service. But as you can see, shares are lower as investors absorb news about the rising cost to develop these tools. Alphabet also falling as fourth quarter ad sales missed estimates. And the company says spending on data centers to support its AI efforts will jump this year. Let's get an investor take. Brian Yakman is the founder and president of the YCG Enhanced Fund, which owns shares of both companies. Brian, good morning. Great to see you. 
Good morning, Frank. Good to be here. All right. Why don't we start off with Microsoft? Surprised to see Microsoft moving lower after those results that were pretty solid overall. A lot of people believe that they came with a very solid narrative when it came to artificial intelligence as well. I'm so sorry, Frank. Could you repeat that? I heard you say moving lower and then you cut for just a short moment. Yeah, I understand, Brian. No problem. That's some of the uh, issues when we talk on Zoom sometimes. I was asking you, are you surprised at all to see Microsoft moving lower? It was a pretty solid report overall. Azure growth reaccelerated. And a lot of people seem to think that it was a very strong narrative when it came to AI. Yeah, actually, yes, we are very surprised. I mean, um, you know, that's the way these things sort of work sometimes is if it's not what uh, investors are expecting. But for us, I mean, as investors of Microsoft, we're very long-term oriented. We're very focused on investing in these global champions that have enduring pricing power. And for us, these results were incredibly strong and in what we would hope to see. All right, so strong results. But one thing I thought was interesting is that Microsoft said that AI workloads will have a life cycle, but traditional optim- optimization cycles will continue. Why are we seeing this big jump to adopt these AI co-pilots and other AI features? Well, think of it as like, as humans, we're meant to act, um, not be acted upon. However, as we give these agents more and more information about us, uh, they're able to act on our behalf. And so essentially, you're, you're, it, what they're doing is they're investing a ton of capital. So Microsoft, just this year over year, they're up 70% on, on CapEx uh, to $11.5 billion. So it's requiring a, an immense amount of capital. But what it allows them to do is, as these agents know more and more about us, they do more and more workloads for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it makes it, uh, our lives easier. Our lives are better. Got it. I want to switch gears to, uh, excuse me, to Alphabet, um, falling considerably harder than Microsoft after earnings. Um, a couple different weak spots. Is there one part of this report in your mind that was especially concerning or you think justifies the drop in the stock? So sorry, Frank. Did I, yeah, no problem, Cut Ryan. again. Obviously, yeah. it happens to cut right when you ask the question. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not a problem. Um, looking at Alphabet now. We're turning to Alphabet. We're actually showing some of the metrics yes. from earnings. Um, Alphabet falling a lot harder than Microsoft right now. Was there one part of this report that made you concerned? A lot of people are pointing to ads. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, Google's core monetization strategy is search. And, you know, whereas with Microsoft, all roads seem to lead back to Microsoft in enterprise they act as a giant toll taker on all of global enterprise, um, almost like a tax on global productivity. Google is more of a, a tax on global advertising, but it's through that core search bar. And so the concern that we have is that as these AI agents that we were just talking about, as they become more important in our world, the fears is that they, you know, the AI, not just chatbots, but the agents themselves, that people will start to use various uh, methods of search. We're already doing it. When we went from desktop to mobile, we started to use more, you know, Airbnb for searching for travel or Amazon for searching for products. So the concern is, is that will they keep the same number of queries? And if they don't, or sorry, if they do, then the next question is, will they actually maintain market share in the digitization, in the digital advertising dollars? Uh, When it came to Google Cloud, actually better results than expected. Um, very quickly, we got to let you go. Um, are you confident in the Google Cloud story going forward? Well, yes and no. I mean, most of these things, we're more confident in AWS and Azure. And I think that Google Cloud will likely remain a distant third. 
Think of them as an internet protocol. Okay. Um, or, or, sorry. A, a, we got to let it. We got to go right now. It's great to see you as always, Brian Yakman. Thank you very much. All right, coming up no here on Worldwide Exchange, we're hitting the brakes on Elon Musk's landmark pay package at Tesla. What a judge's ruling could mean for the EV giant as shares get hit on the news. We're back on WEX in just a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We have a market flash for you. Teradyne shares falling after forecasting another drop in revenue. The company warning of lower demand for its chip testing equipment. As customers, they cut back on spending. Shares of Teradyne down more than 8%. Robert Half shares they're also lower this morning. The employment company posting a decrease in revenue and net income. Its CEO says, while global labor demand continues to be resilient, trends are modestly below their peaks. Shares of Robert Half down almost 10 percent. All right. Now turning over to Tesla, shares are under some pressure after a Delaware judge sided with an investor lawsuit filed back in 2018, claiming that Elon Musk and his $55 billion pay package was excessive. The 200-page legal opinion it did not end there. Chancery Court Judge Kathleen McCormick went on to say that Musk compensation terms, they failed to clearly show what was required of him to earn the money, adding the board of directors at the time was rife with conflicts of interest when it approved that deal. The ruling, it threatens to take down Elon Musk from his status as the richest person in the world. Joining me now is Clio Capital Managing Director Sarah Kunst, a San Francisco-based VC who sits on a number of pre-IPO company boards, Sarah, good morning. You've seen a few of these compensation negotiations firsthand. Give us a sense. What do you think of this judge's ruling? She's not wrong. It is hard to worry about Elon Musk when he is still the third richest person in the world. Um, The reality is that was a massive pay package. It wasn't something that was needed to retain him. Um, And it was something that he's even admitted that he really negotiated against himself with. He's the one who came up with those terms. It is hard to justify that. We don't get to decide exactly how much we want to get paid, have it be one of the most historic, biggest pay packages in the world, and think that nobody's going to have a problem with that. All right. So I do have to ask you, I want to, uh, while we're showing right now, some of the comments from the judge's decision, um, unfathomable, sum, deeply flawed, historically unprecedented, uh, unfair price. Those are her comments from the decision. Um, I want to come back over to you. Plan devil's advocate. What is this company without Elon Musk? He's been the driving force for so much. So I know he's not the founder, but he's been the CEO for a long time. I mean, without him, is this company worth what it's worth? And then Aren't you only what you bring to the table? Do you, is, is there, isn't there some argument that he's worth that $55 billion? No one's saying that Elon Musk shouldn't get paid for his work. Everybody should get paid for their work. And certainly his cult of personality has been a huge part of driving that stock price and driving adoption of, of EVs. And I say that as somebody who's not the biggest fan of Tesla for EVs long term. That being said, this is a pay package that is so far beyond the scope of this. This wasn't about retention. He wasn't trying to leave. He didn't have a better offer anywhere. He just wanted more money. And so he asked his friends on the board, including his divorce attorney, for more money and they said yes. And then one of the shareholders said that's not how it works in public companies because you have fiduciary responsibilities beyond to your buddies and your brother on the board. All right. So I want to ask you about this, the board going forward. Is it possible we could see some changes on the board? And just for clarity, I don't think Elon Musk is the only CEO with a lot of rubber stamps on the board. He certainly uh, isn't an outlier when it comes to that. But after this decision, do you expect to see some changes to Tesla's board? I 
think that people who have the same last name and who grew up with him might get a harder look. Certainly, it, it's hard to say, hey, no, my board's completely impartial when one of them is your younger brother. Um, this has been a year of board governance being top of mind, or I guess over the last 12, 15 months. We saw that with SBF. We saw that with Sam Altman in the OpenAI debacle right before Thanksgiving. These boards of formerly privately held startups are really having to grow up in real time uh, because a lot of them, to your point, have been rubber stamping anything in front of them, and that is not working anymore. All right, Sarah Kuhn saying she's a she's a tough board member and uh, we scrutinize any siblings on anybody's board. Sarah, great to see you as always. Thank All you. right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today, plus why our next guest says it may be a, a bumpy road for the markets ahead as we work through earnings season. We're going to be right back on WEX. Stay with us. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your WEX wrap-up. Starbucks is higher despite a revenue and earnings miss due to a number of headwinds that included a boycott in the U.S. and increased discounting by rivals in China. Shares of AMD, they're under pressure on a disappointing revenue forecast calling for $3.5 billion this year compared to the $6 billion expected. Electronic art shares, they're slipping on a third quarter revenue miss. The video game maker says it is prioritizing investments in its largest opportunities for multi-year growth. Stryker getting a boost after reporting a 12% increase in net sales. The medical device company citing its competitive edge, operational efficiency, and strong profitability. Samsung remaining optimistic about profitability from artificial intelligence, despite reporting a 74% decline in revenue and a 35% drop in operating profit. And shares of Mondelez International falling despite a rise in fourth quarter sales, price hikes hitting volumes, squeezing demand for the company's products that include, of course, Oreo cookies and Ritz crackers. All right, earnings and the latest Fed decisions taking center stage for the markets today. The final trading day of the month. Taking a look at futures right now, we're seeing the Dow hitting its highs of this morning, looking like it would open up about 50 points higher. But the Nasdaq, it remains under pressure following those Microsoft and Alphabet earnings. Joining me now is G Square Private Wealth founding partner and CIO Victoria Green. You are, of course, a CNBC contributor, friend of the show, all-around expert on a whole lot of things. Vicky, it is great to have you here. Thanks, Ryan. Good to be here. Let's start with the pre-market action. Um, obviously, the Nasdaq under a lot of pressure following Microsoft and Alphabet. Having concerns about the Mag 7? A little bit. I mean, Google was a miss. Tesla was a miss. Microsoft wasn't a miss at all. So I think maybe a little profit taking or just investor fatigue. I'm going to pull from the, my favorite artist, Tania Twain. That don't impress me much. It's like it has to be just a blowout earnings really to move these stocks higher. A beat just didn't do it anymore. It was expected it was going to be a beat. So I think you are seeing a little bit of caution on, yes, if you meet expectations, that's great. But we're going to need more from that uh, for growth. But I think Microsoft could rally out of this. It's really not bad down too bad. Right. It's really Google that and the ad revenue mess that, that's really dragging us down here. All right. So you gave us your favorite Shania Twain lyric. Now your Wex word of the day. <laughs> it's seatbelt because I'm going to say buckle up, buttercup. It might get a little <laughs> bumpy this earnings season. And that's totally normal. Like we're just seeing a lot of volatility. Valuations are obviously very priced in at this moment for, for earnings growth. And so you may see this little peaks and valleys. We can't hit a record every single day, Frank. So some of this is, is expected. Some of this is just investors repricing in what they see with the Fed, what mm. they see with earnings growth. But none of these companies has recorded necessarily earnings decline. You're seeing the Mag 7 make a lot of money. Investors just want to see them make a little bit more. <laughs> just a little bit more. Just a little bit. Um, so obviously earnings season is still in full swing. We have some other big companies yet to report. But today, the big event, of course, 
is the Fed decision. So what are you expecting from that? How do you see that impact in the markets? Obviously, it's a no decision. I think if they, they do any changes today, I fall out of my right. chair. But, but the press conference. But the press conference is what I'll be watching. I think they're going to say, number one, data dependent. We could get our Fed bingo card out. <laughs> All right, right, hold on. Let me check that one there. Yeah. You know, that should be the center square there. Uh, but they're going to leave options on the table. I think March is still too early. Futures have, you know, swaps continue to price that in less and less. It's around 35, 40% chance now for March, down from about 60 70 earlier this month. So I think March is off the table for me. I think we're going to see what labor comes in on Friday. I think you're going to see him data dependent, leave options on the table, not paint himself into a corner, maybe a little bit hawkish to continue to keep the market from from pricing in too aggressively, because that's when the pain starts. If the market's pricing in too many cuts and the feds don't see it in the cards, it's painful. You know, I'm I'm going to hit the brakes. I know you got your seatbelt on. You're saying March is already off the table. I mean, we have a jobs report coming up. We have more inflation reports before March. Why is it already off the table? And and then how does the the market react if Jay Powell even hints that it's off the table. I, I think it's off the table. It's too early. I think it may or may or most likely June is, is yeah. would be where you'd see kind of the traditional cut start. If you look at the timing of when we stopped hikes, which was July last year, this 12-month lag, totally normal between uh, the pause and the cut coming in. So for me, I just don't think the data's there. You're not seeing upward inflation pressure. You're seeing strong job okay. numbers. I know Jolt's surprised a little bit, but Jolt's honestly right now is being moved around a lot by the survey results. They're just not getting that many return surveys. So ADP is important. Jobs reports important. But if you have strong labor and inflation is stable and they okay. want to avoid 70, 80s, they're, they're not going to want to cut too soon. Very quick. You gave us two picks. Which one are you the most confident about, like the elevator pitch on it? All right, I'm going to go out here. I think Meta picked up the ad revenue. I know it's a little bit of a risk, and they're coming down this morning, but Google didn't have the ad revenue. I think it all went to Meta, and I think their numbers are, are going to be strong enough to see a pop. Uh, do you think the year of efficiency, does it continue? Because a lot of talk about margins when it came to both Alphabet and Microsoft. I do. I mean, Zuckerberg has been pointing on that, continuing to reduce headcount. So we want to see where did, did ad revenue growth. We saw a lot of growth in China, potentially, from some of the Chinese e-commerce. What are your daily average users? And then if they can continue to reduce headcount and increase margins, more net profits for investors, that's right. a good thing to like. And investors like a CEO that's trying to put more money in their pockets. Yes, an interesting pull and pull, push and pull. Spending more in data centers, but cutting in other areas. We'll have to wait and see your picks today. Philip 66 <laughs> and Meta. Vicky, thanks for being here. That's going to do it for us. we got Squawk Box coming up next. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Sometimes your cat can be a mystery, like when they get so attached to certain cardboard boxes. <laughs> but when you use Fresh Step Cat Litter, there's no question that you're making your cat happy thanks to amazing odor control. Fresh Step clumping cat litters prevent stinky crumbles and make scooping easy by locking in liquid and odor immediately. That means you can keep your house clean and your bond strong. There's no mystery here. Find Fresh Step Cat Litter at a store near you. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company. Certain trademarks used under license from the Procter & Gamble Company or its affiliates.